What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I woke up at 5 a.m. Put on my camouflage. Wiped off my 243 and fired up my Dodge. Headed out to my old deer stand back in the pines. Gonna get me a 10-point buck with 11-inch Our guest tonight is Lance Brantley. He is a predator hunter, and we're talking all things predator hunting. We covered in the first hour some of the habits of coyotes, their breeding habits, uh, type of areas they frequent, and we talked a bit about how to set up for bobcat. But now, Lance, uh, I want to get into the daytime hunting portion for coyotes because it is totally different than the nighttime. As a matter of fact, it's mind-blowing, I think, uh, the difference in their behaviors. Can you start us out with your approach to the daytime? And you can throw in some things about, you know, difference at night. But uh, as we move into the nighttime, I want to change gears a good bit. Sure. One one thing I, I've learned and I probably made the mistake, especially starting out, is is less is more in the daytime. And what I mean by that is is volume and my methods of calling. Um, you know, where the nighttime I may be way more out in the field or something like that, so my volume's gonna be higher. In the daytime, you know, I wanna play I'm looking for that area, like we said earlier, you know, establishing where they may be staying or, or denning is always a good key to success but once you establish some areas or if you're going in you know you want to have an ideal and, and another thing is a lot of people like that wind in their face like they deer hunt and that's kind of was my take on it in the beginning but i i've learned i want to be able to shoot my crosswind but i want to be able to get to my area without my wind going to their area so you got to kind of keep that in mind and i think it, it comes with time it's just something you got to do enough of to you kind of get an idea of how the coyotes run and you see it. But, but generally, it's a low spot or something of that sort where they can kind of stay hid to get as close to that that sound as possible. But I definitely like starting out. Typically, I run a distress either if it's a bird or there's all kinds of different you know distress sounds and and things you can buy on an e collar. Um, they're all somewhat effective. And and I think a lot of it's just timing what they may be craving and when and 
it don't hurt to change your sounds through one set either. That was something I never did thought that I, I, in my head it didn't sound natural, so it probably wouldn't work. But the more I done it, the more I realized that you could be playing a distressed rabbit, change the sound to a different sound of a distressed rabbit, and and it bring them right in. It, it's always kind of been funny to me how that works. But anyhow, once once I kind of learn that wind and have an idea of where I want him to to be when I shoot, you know, I kind of play that all where I put the collar and and stuff of that sort but in the daytime I, I like staying 45 minutes to an hour on my set and and my volume is going to say the first 15 minutes i might i might play a distress sound for 30 seconds to a minute kind of low volume and gradually as that time progressed through that hour i get a louder with it and a little more aggressive but i at first i like to have a good you know let's say if i play it for 30 seconds and i want to wait a minute or two before i hit it again Okay. And that that's worked better. And you kind of go in it with the mindset that you have a coyote close. So you want to, you know, you don't want to just scream that volume out where it may alert them and not sound natural. Okay. Um, your thoughts about the use of decoys, you know, motion devices, what are the pros and cons on that for daytime hunting? Because I know that comes into play more in the daytime pursuit. I don't, I don't really see a whole lot of cons in it. I mean, I feel like, you know, as long as it's a somewhat a decent-looking decoy, I mean, if you're using an actual coyote decoy, sometimes if there's, say, a, a alpha male in that area and the younger dog should be afraid of it, he might come in and see that and steer away. Uh, but as far as, you know, a, a bird, something, to, or a rabbit, you know, that vibrates or, you know, just moves enough to catch their attention, I, I don't see a lot of downfalls in them. Maybe if it's a educated coyote that you know been shot at coming to one before, he may he may steer away. But other than that, it's it's more good than bad. I say that. Okay, just something to get their attention and get that attention off you goes a long ways. Yes, sir. Um, can you describe some of your ideal setup types? What what will you look for that you think will increase your success on daytime sets? Do you like for example, do you prefer fence row sets with visibility or, uh, you know, a what good, are your thoughts on that? A good fence row is always good. Or uh, I like to target thickets, especially if there's thickets by a holler. You know, when you got your wind kind of a crosswind, so so you can get into that. You know, you can go into that area and not have to about worry about your wind blowing and, and kind of busting your hunt before you get started. You know, more times than not, that coyote's going to end up downwind of that collar. So, you know, with an area like that, you can play the wind going into it, set that, that collar accordingly without getting winded before you ever hit the call. So, I mean, that's that's one thing I try to target and look for in areas. And and if it, if it don't play out the way you want, then just don't hunt it that day until you got the proper wind, kind of like hunting a deer, I guess. Yes, sir. On average, if you're using a, a motion decoy, how how far away from your hiding position do you like to position that and any particular tips you can give in that regard? I run an e-collar a lot, so I want it pretty close to my e-collar. That way they can hear and see, you know, in the same place. If I'm running hand calls, it, it would be kind of the same principle 
they're going to, you know, if they see it, a lot of times they see it, they may run directly in and not worry about the wind because they've already seen what they're looking for. But I would want it visible, you know, obviously somewhere you can shoot and something that would be, if you have an idea where they're coming from, you want to set that decoy up where it's visible, you know, to them. How much and visibility? Usually, usually within 50 yards of where I'm hunting, 50 to 100 most of the time. Okay. And on your setups, uh, any other type of tips you can give about how to blend in, uh, how important it is to be prepared to shoot at various angles on your calling? I mean, you know, with all the coyotes you've harvested through the years, I'm sure you got some pretty strong thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you definitely, I mean, coyotes, they've got it. I mean, I kind of look at them like turkey hunting. I mean, they're pretty quick on spotting movement and, and, and seeing you and getting out quick. So you, you definitely want to be tucked into some cover if possible. You know, I've, I've always, you know, if I'm hunting a fence row, I try to, you know, sometimes I keep a handsaw with me and I'll cut a few tree limbs or something, uh, something around me to break up that, you know, where that you can't be silhouetted and seen where you're not sticking out like a sore thumb, obviously. You you kind of want to treat it like you would turkey hunting. Yeah, good. Very, very good. Um, do you ever utilize shotgun in daytime hunting? Yeah, I have. I've done it. Uh, pro- I've done it less than I do with rifle, but, but yeah, I mean, you can, uh, and especially in, there's a lot of guys, I get busy chasing turkeys, but during that, that season there, you know, once the the pups are dinning and stuff, you can be pretty successful with a shotgun in the woods. I mean, they get, you know, they, they, they're they real call friendly during, you know, April. I think a lot of times the, the female's dinning and the male does most of the hunting, so he's got to hunt a whole lot harder than, than normal. So if you go in those go out that time of year when they're dinning and, and, and hit a distress, it, it's pretty call effective. And uh, I've talked to a lot of guys that like using even a, a fawn bleed or, you know, mimicking a, a fawn in distress. They, they've had a lot of luck when, when the does are starting to drop their, their fawns and, and doing good with that. And, okay. and you can also, if you, if you, if you want to target the denning areas, you go in with a, a male how or, or any kind of how or, uh, you know, an e-collar mimicking a fight. If you're if you're close to them denning areas, man, I they're they're real aggressive. You can you can have a lot of luck time, that time of year. Okay, very very good. Lance, I'm gonna go to a quick break here. Coming back from break, I want to talk to you in depth about the times of year day hunting that you feel are uh, offer the most success on average. And you touched on a little, but I'd like to get to that a little more in depth. This break is presented by SMI Marine. They're at 11400 Westport Road, just north of the Gene Snyder. They'll take great care of you. They'll treat you like a friend. Tell them Jimbo sent you. And remember, you never get soaked by my friends at SMI Marine. And we're talking with Lance Brantley about predator hunting and daytime coyote techniques. Lance, uh, on these daytime coyotes, are, is there a particular portion of the year that really fires you up about the daytime possibilities? What, what's been your, maybe some of your periods of the cycle that, that you feel offer the best success for daytime hunters? 
Uh, I personally like it. For me, now this this is not going to be probably the best time, but for me personally, you know, like this time of year, we got this cold front just come in. We're going to have frozen ground for a few days. Usually after about three days of frozen ground, they they start getting pretty hungry and and they get a lot braver. So your calling in the daytime gets a lot better. Uh, so for me, I, I kind of like targeting them, you know, during those times, uh, the cold weather and the extreme cold, you know, below 30 and below freezing for, for a few days like we have now. So I, I'll definitely be doing some daytime stuff here in the daytime or, or here in the daytime the next few days. But the best time is probably going to be, you know, I have a lot of friends that do it. I'm, I'm too busy chasing fish at the time of year, but around April, you know, uh, April, May, I mean, though, though they're, they're moving pretty good. I mean, especially like I was talking about with all the fawns and all the, the rabbits and everything, that's kind of a lot of times when they're, well, they're dropping their little ones. So you, you got a lot of, a lot of predators on the move. Okay. And, and, and they're also uh, denning that, something else when they're denning at that time. If you target those denning areas, they're real aggressive and territorial. So you you got a real good success rate on calling during that time. What type of call would you recommend during that denning time, and when does that occur? When do you think the peak of that is? You know, it, I'd say they're around April, and, and like I said, I don't I don't have time to chase them as much. Somebody may tell you different, but I know just just by turkey hunting and stuff, you see a lot of coyotes in the move at that time. Um, but also, like they should be denning, you know, all their all the pups are going to be in the den, and and that male he's pretty protective, or that pack would be pretty protective over them little ones. So that around that that April May, I'll probably all the way up into to June. You know, you could you have a time period to do it. Um, I've seen some guys on videos that were pretty just shotgun and and they would go in and howl, locate them, and and that pretty well give away their trees. They would answer back and then they grab them. So once they moved in, and I mean they were they were having a field day shooting them just pretty well. You know, in the woods with a shotgun. Uh, speaking of shotguns, what loads do you recommend? Do you like the dead coyote load? What, uh, the dead, what the dead coyote is a good round. Uh, it's, a, it's a great round. I, I've used it some. Uh, I usually use a three-inch. A lot of guys like the three-and-a-half. I just I shoot a Super 90, and that might only shoot three-inch, or I'd shoot three-and-a-half. But the three-inch uh, dead coyote is a great round. I've even even started shooting tons in some of these turkey shells. You know, they're easier to find, and, and they're pretty deadly on them, too. You know, within, oh, within 45 to 50 yards, you, you're, they're pretty pretty hard on them. Yes, sir. What uh, size shot do you like? I think I run the nine, the nine shot on the, uh, on the tungsten. I can't, I think it's like a blend. I think they're like a, the dead coyote is... I don't remember it's just what I whatever they had convenient. I don't remember what shot size it was to be honest when I was running that. Okay. Well I I, I if it's lead, I like number twos. They're they're really deadly on them. Fours work pretty good, but twos have a little more range and, and of course those like you talked, those blends are are super effective as well. So uh yes, sir. Any other tips about daytime in particular that you want to 
you want to pass along here? Do you let me let me give an example? How much in, in field sets? How much range of vision do you prefer? Do you is that a big factor in where you set up? How far you can see? What well, what would you tell folks about that? I, you know, it, it kind of varies. You know, if I'm locating them and I find them in an area, sometimes you just got to do, you know, work with what you have. I mean, I'd like to be, preferably, I want to see at least 100 yards or so. You know, um, if I'm hunting the woods, even if they're thick, I try to get in that open open part of that wood. That way I got a little more time to get prepared because especially hunting the woods area, it's, it's, it's fast. I mean, they come in quick and they leave quick. So you want to yes, you want to be able to get as much of advance on them as you can. In your daytime hunting, do you ever partner hunt where someone's more or less covering your back door, or what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, um, I personally hunt more by myself in the daytime, but a lot of guys do. You know, if they can throw somebody on that downwind to cover a little further, or or what are that train to be, it could definitely be successful working as a team, you know, where where you can kind of cover your, somebody's kind of covering your back type thing. Okay. And obviously shooting is a little easier in the daytime, especially if a cow gets, gets his wheels under him. Do you prefer semi-automatic to bolt? What, what's your thoughts about that in charge of a rifle? You know, it's kind of personal preference. I mean, uh, you know, daytime hunting, I could see where, you know, the AR-style guns could be effective. And say if you had two or three run in quick, you're able to shoot one the first shot. A lot of times the other one's going to stop and look back. And that AR, you can be ready a little bit quicker. I've I've always, I've hunted with an AR-style gun a little bit. I just personally kind of stuck to my bolt gun. And I, I think it's just more personal preference than anything. Okay. All right. Um, again, territorially, daytime hunting. How far do you move after your thirty-minute set? Do you? What do you think the average? I guess I should say calling range where you feel like, hey, if they haven't come to there in thirty minutes, how far would you tell someone they would, on average, need to move before they would set up again and expect to have any success? You know, if you're going into it, you're hunting a, a smaller farm or you only have so much property and and you're wanting to utilize as much of that property as you can, I, I mean, you could probably go, you know, three to 500 yards. I mean, most of, most of these animals are going to hear you, you know, from a good distance from one call set. But, you know, like I talked about with, with coyotes and their boundaries, let's say if they have a, a boundary they're close, you may just move a few hundred yards and where he wouldn't come before, he, he, he came that time. So I guess that goes to the layout of the ground and how much ground you have to hunt. Okay. All right. Very good, sir. We got to go to a news break here. And this break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker there. They've got all kind of vacation homes, farms, and wildlife habitat areas for sale. You can check out their listings at mophartrealty.com. Now let's drive into 
That's definitely the way to play the game. Uh, can we start out with some basics? By that, I mean, for example, I have a lot of people ask me this. Your thoughts about walking in versus driving into your setups on farms at night and the difference between where you do set up at night because cover's not as important. Start out with those two aspects, if you would. Now, since we've had a few years of this, you know, night season, they're they're definitely catching on. So, if hunting pressure, if you're getting a lot of hunting pressure in your area, you definitely want to to be a lot more stealthy. You know, you, you can't drive in as much stuff of that sort. Now that being said, though, I hunt some ground that has a lot of old well roads on it. These coyotes are, you know, it's it's pretty common to see somebody go down there once or twice a day down through these roads. So you can kind of cheat in those site places. I mean, a lot of times I drive in and, and park beside the oil pumps and then walk in from there, or sometimes I just call from there and be successful. But I know I hunt, you know, I hunt the state of Illinois a lot where I have a lot more oil roads and stuff of that sort. And then here in Kentucky, you know, especially in my area, the hunting pressure is pretty thick. There's a lot of guys with thermals. So when it when it first started, you could literally just pull in by any pull in and had a field and a little bit of a creek or a little bit of, you know, somewhat thick habitat around it and, and call the coyote in because they, they never had the, you know, they had the secure darkness and never had to worry about being hunted. And, and they made it pretty easy, but but now it's you want to pay attention to slamming the doors. You know when you pull in, try not to turn your light on the field. Look more like just somebody kind of going down the road type thing. And and when you cut into that pull in, just just kind of make it fast and keep all your lights off, interior lights out. Uh, uh, one of my trucks, being a newer truck, I actually had to go in the settings and and turn off all the running lights and all that kind of stuff because it. It definitely makes a difference on dogs that, that's been hunted, that's for sure. Okay. What type of thermals do you recommend? Any tips there on folks about what they need to be effective at night in terms of their scope and, and ability to see? There's a, They're all over the board, and that's one of them questions. What's your Kind of like asking what's your favorite rod and reel or something of that sort. You have a lot of different answers. Um, there's, there's a lot of new stuff, you know, they, there's several companies that selling them now, so they're all kind of competing and, and from in the last five years, you know, you had to spend three to 5,000 to have something pretty good quality. Now, you know, you, you can find a pretty decent scope for around $2,000. Um, one thing you, you look at is the, the processors are in them. I think they start out at, uh, I don't know what they start on, but a, but a good one's like a three three eighty processor to, I think mine's a six forty, and now they got some with like a ten eighty, uh, and and they're all over the board in price range. But it, it, I guess a lot of it, if if you're gonna, you know, the territory you're hunting is gonna be long shots and open field, you want something that starts out with a a decent zoom, you know, a, a three pyre or four pyre zoom. If it starts out on that, it's it's probably gonna be pretty decent for that that style of hunting. If you're hunting in tighter quarters where you want a wider view, you know, you might start out with something with a one and a half power zoom or something like that. Uh, I guess you got to find out what suits you for what terrain and area you're hunting. But they, they definitely have a lot more options than when I first started hunting that are, are more affordable these days. Okay. 
Okay. Can you uh, describe your normal routine way you enter your area um, and, and how you start your calling? What I know you've said that uh, sometimes you tend to use female sounds more than male. You know, explain your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, on the the start starting methods, I mean, sometimes I may start out with a distress before I do anything, or a lot of times uh, I'll start out with like a female howl, and a, a lot of times the dog, if he's in that, or Cowdy's in that area, he's going to come in pretty well immediately to investigate. But in, in my opinion, I like starting out more neutral, and what I mean by that, if you play a, a old howl or male howl. If that's an alpha dog or if there's one in that area, a coyote in that area, the other coyotes may be alert to not come to it, afraid of a fight or something of that sort. So I like playing like an imitational type howl or a, uh, a female lone howl to start my set. And and I, I'll play that first. I usually wait about a minute or two. And then if I don't see anything, I'll go in from that to a distress. And and that's something, if you have a whole lot of hunting pressure, you may not want to just throw out a whole whole lot of sounds. But generally, it doesn't affect them, or I haven't seen this affect them too much yet. So, you know, it may not sound natural to you, but it, the, these calories are kind of instinctive. If there's something that pesters them or something that they want, when they hear it, they kind of just forget about everything else and seem to come to it. But but personally, I start out with a female howl just to try to be more neutral. Um, on my night sets, I don't, I don't stay too long. So I, I wait 30 seconds, change my sound, and I may try to kind of tell a story. So if I if I get there, I'm a, just a, you know, a single female howl. I'll go from that. And then when I go to that, that rabbit in distress, if there's a coyote over the hill listening, sometimes that, that'll aggravate him that, that another coyote's coming in his area. He's unheard the howl, and now that coyote's killed that rabbit. So he's he's getting a little bit more aggravated. So I, I may go from, from that distress, and then it's also covered my bases. You know, if there's a hungry dog, a coyote in that area, then, you know, he, he may come into that distress. But if I hadn't had nothing by then, then I may go to a, a coyote fight, or, or sometimes I like to end with a pup distress. And, and that pup distress is a pretty effective sound. Um, I mean, especially to the females, they, that mothering instinct kind of kicks in. They want to go investigate what's going on or, or what coyotes come in that area that, you know, could be harming some of hers. So she, she's, she's going to go check that out. And, and, and a lot of times when you do that, that, that female is usually the first of the pack. She, she's, she's kind of leading them and the rest of them come in, come in with her. Okay. So it's, that's, that's another kind of a method I use, uh, going into the breeding season, like now, I, I go to a lot of sore lone howls or even, you know, there's some breeding sounds that you can buy of actual coyotes breeding. That, that They're pretty good, but I like to end with a fight. I, I mean, the fights, uh, if there's any aggressive coyotes in that area that hadn't been caught at it, it's really effective. So in your calling sequences, if you start out with the distress and then move forward into the actual coyote sounds, how much time in between each calling sequence would you recommend to someone to start now? If you're hunting an area that's that's more pressured or you feel like you know you got neighbors that have thermal scopes, you may want to wait 30 to 40 minutes. I, I'm usually no later than 30. I, I feel like 
which I'm also blessed enough. I've, I've knocked on enough doors and got permission to hunt several farms. So I look at it, the, the more farms you hunt, the more better your odds are. So with time, you know, you, you kill more coyotes. But if you're limited to ground, I mean, I, I've also done the longer sets, and, and it took, you know, 45 minutes an hour for, for anything came in. So it, it can still be successful playing a game of statistics. It's usually going to happen more times than not in that first 20 minutes, I feel like. Okay, so if you start with a rabbit in distress, how much time is it before you start actually doing coyote sounds to, to increase your chances? In other words, you know, what's what's the time space between utilizing the different calls on a single set? Uh, usually about a minute apart okay. on a nighttime hunt. Okay. But, yes, sir. And, and like I said, that, you know, I kind of play that, you know, if you're hunting, you know, I do a lot of tournament-style hunting where – you know our sets go a lot quicker it may not be as effective but but we're we're playing a game of odds on sets so if if you're limited on on you know places to go then it don't hurt to go ahead and space it out another couple minutes you know be be a little more gradual to it sometimes that that works better if you're in a tournament scenario you you don't really have time you just got to cover ground so i guess that's two different methods of doing it i guess i'm saying Okay. All right. Let me go to a quick break here because I got a bunch of other questions to hopefully to help folks out. This break is presented by SMI Marine. They're at 11400 Westport Road. Go see them. They'll take great care. And remember, you never get soaked by my friends at SMI. We're back to talk to Lance Brantley about predator hunting. In this segment of the program, we're talking about night hunting. Lance, uh, fascinating subject here because anybody that knows anything about me and most serious outdoorsmen like yourself know we're fanatics about studying weather and moon phase. Tell people your thoughts about the best types of nights to hunt, and this could vary, of course, during various times of the year, and or the best time of night to hunt, if you would. Yes, sir. I've had... Uh, me personally, I've had a lot more luck. The darker the moon, it seems like the better responsive they are, and it seems like to be they're moving a lot more on the moon faces versus the the fuller, the full, or the bright moons. And, and they even a lot of times for me on a full moon at night, they act like it's daytime. They they definitely don't cross the field as much, and they stick tighter to the ditch rows and and the cover than they do during the darker moon times. Okay. And in terms of, of weather patterns, what what weather patterns are the most and least productive for you? Uh, surprisingly, and this was something going into it I didn't see coming. It, like these, these colder nights like we're having now, they seem to, to conserve energy more. They seem to, to stay up and not move as much. And, and the nights that, you know, you can put a hoodie on and be comfortable, it seems like they're they're that much more active during the 40-degree and 45 to 50 degree nights has, has been some of my most successful nights. Okay. And uh, cloudy conditions seem to enter into that. In other words, if you have a, a frontal system coming and it is full moon, would the clouds obscuring the moon, moon have any effect on that, in your opinion? Or do you think that's just part yeah. of the yeah, I feel like the the cycle, and this is my personal opinion. I feel like the actual moon 
itself plays some kind of effect. But don't get me wrong, when you got weather coming, you know, they're naturally going to feed more. The the overcasty nights can definitely be better. You know, we dealt with that the last full moon. We actually had some decent weather that, you know, with some cloud coverage. And, and I genuinely don't like, a, a, you know, a misty rain type night. They seem not move as much. But during the warmer, you know, like, like we had there the last full moon, we had some 40-degree nights that were just kind of misty-type rain that the hunting wasn't horrible. We, 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 our cost of says wasn't as great as normal, but there was a lot of coyotes out moving, and we was able to still do pretty decent on those nights. But, but definitely, definitely if it was, you know, a dark moon with those same variables, I feel like our, our kill ratio would have been a lot higher. Okay. Time of night, do you find that just after dark is any different than, you know, late at, at night or up towards morning? What are your thoughts there? I know uh, a lot of the guys just hunt all night long, so I'm just trying to help folks that understand what the peak times might be on average. Sure. Yeah, I feel like from dark to midnight is more successful. Now, going back to the moon, let's say, you know, you got a moon that's going to rise at 10 o'clock at night they they may feed good until then then it gets a little tougher so that moon also affects it during those kind of patterns also but but it seems like their natural movement time which you know with with us and deer hunting it'd be right before dark and daylight it it's somewhat the same with coyotes and you know right after dark up to usually around midnight they seem to slow down but then a lot of times you hit that dead spell and, and from three o'clock to daylight it'll, it'll get good again and so that kind of it motivates you if you've done it enough you know you know from from midnight to three o'clock that's that's three hours and you know if you're doing a set every 30 minutes that's several sets you might strike out and it gets kind of discouraging but then all of a sudden you'll you'll start having a little action again and kind of motivate you to keep going but but for whatever reason it seems from three o'clock to that that six o'clock it'll, it'll pick back up a lot of times okay um common mistakes on night hunting what would you tell folks because we all make them <laughs> oh absolutely i think a lot that i see a lot when i hunt with different people is, is they want that wind in their face you know i talked about that a little bit earlier but it's the same thing at night i personally want my wind where when that coyote gets downwind of me that i can shoot it because more times than not when they come into calling it may be within 150 to 200 yards at nighttime. They seem they seem to come in a little closer before they worry about the wind. But when they when they start swinging, if you can't shoot that downwind side, there's a good chance you're not going to get a shot. Or some areas, you know, I, I've had the wind in my face and, and kind of come in with the woods behind me in the area that I think they're coming from being in front of me. I've had them come in and then hang up about four or five hundred yards. And, and I really feel like they do that because they know they can't get downwind of you. Or, you know, if there may be a river or, or something they're not going to cross, sometimes they won't come in at all. They'll just hang out there at a few hundred yards away and, and then finally just drift drift off back where they came from. Okay. Um, any other mistakes that you want to talk about here real quick? I think another one would be calling too loud and out of the gate. I mean, I, you know, and, and the more, you know, time goes by, there's a lot more people buying thermals every day. 
I think adapting that hunting pressure, I think these coyotes can 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 hear the difference between an e-collar and, and what's real. And I, I think backing that volume down on that collar go a long ways, especially the as we advance, you know, these coyotes start adapting to this night season. Okay. Tell folks how to check you out on Facebook and then give me your phone number if you don't mind. Sure. My, my personal Facebook be under Lance Brantley and then the <clears throat> Muddy Flats we have a, if you're a bow fisherman want to get into that that's uh, uh, Muddy Flats there on Facebook you can find that and then uh, the deer recovery be uh, one track uh, canine deer, drone and deer recovery okay on track canine and drone deer recovery yes, and your sir. number you and your number that. right quick it's a 270-952-2459 I'll be glad to help any way I can all right, Lance. Well, I really enjoyed the chat with you. It's been really informational. I'll be in touch down the road. God bless everybody. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 